This is episode 97 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today's articles are Dealing with Exhaustion and Other Sleeping Issues in a Post-SHTF World What Will You Do When Someone Dies During SHTF And Why Living Smaller is Living Better The Five Big Keys to Downsizing Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily aggregator of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, before I get started, uh, really try to bring you a no-nonsense podcast where we just get down to business and you know read the articles and or give you the audible uh, version of the articles and give you a little bit of commentary there. Uh, you can really help me out by uh, just kind of spreading the the news of the Prepper Website podcast. You know, sharing it out on social media. If uh, if you share out any uh, you know any preparedness type things. Uh, letting your prepper friends know, uh, or people that are preparedness minded, letting them know that there's a podcast out there that they might be interested in. Uh, it's you know it's a daily podcast, so um, you know there's not too many daily podcasts out there in the preparedness world, but uh, we try to bring it to you every single weekday at least. Uh, you know maybe to make your commute a little bit more. Uh, enjoyable or to you know while you're out there i know some people are listening to me while they're doing work in the in the house and even out on the tractor so thank you so much for listening and being part of the prepper website podcast and those of you who are part of the the mailing list and then also the facebook group thank you so much for that and thank you so much for sharing us out so let's go ahead and get into uh this podcast uh the article's Today, this first one comes to us from American Preppers Online, and uh, you know this this article and the next article. Uh, I forgot to mention, you know, I, I said last week, you know, I was in in San Antonio, and uh, for the big uh, a big conference over there, and uh, one of the things that I got to do uh, on the way over there, on the way back, was to listen to Mark Goodwin's uh, his new Audible uh, book. Uh, Vengeance, and it's the last book in the Seven Cow series. And so, uh, you know, a lot of time in the truck driving down there and driving back, able to almost finish it. I didn't get to finish it completely, but uh, really enjoy his books. Uh, just a little bit of news I'm going to be able to interview Mark this week. Uh, I'm going to interview him for uh, to do for for the podcast. And the cool thing about it is that he's he's going to record the podcast or the interview on his uh, on his uh, you know stuff, and then he's going to save it and send it over to me. So on on his equipment, he's going to send it over to me, and so then I can go ahead and play it on uh, this podcast. So that might look a little bit different. Now I don't have he's got all the cool equipment to be able to record voice and make it sound really great. Uh, you know I don't have that so. I'm looking forward to see how that goes and to be on the other side because, you know, I, I've been on Mark's podcast a couple of times, uh, but, you know, he's always been the one asking the questions. So this time I'll get to, uh, to ask the questions and and uh, see what he comes up with for answers. And that'll be, we'll put that out there next week for on the Wednesday podcast. 
So uh, anyway, so when I what I was saying, the you know, start talking and start you know going off and try, uh, you know chasing rabbits. Um, this this article and the next one um, really play a part in that because you know when you're when you're reading those books or you're listening to the books, the audible version of it, um, you know they're dealing with you know it's not one of those books where everybody lives and everybody lives happily ever after. I mean people are dying, right? There's things that happen, people die, and that, how that affects the group. And so you know Mark does a little bit of of thinking about how that goes into the story. Storyline, and um, you know, it also helps us to think about how we would react and how we would do things uh, in in that situation. So when I think about this article and the one that I'm going to read right after um, that book, because it's fresh on my mind, really plays into uh, into uh, these two articles. So let's go ahead and start reading. Uh, Dealing with exhaustion and other sleeping issues in a post SHTF world. Well, hello, my friend, and welcome back. I'm sure you have felt exhausted before in the past, and you will be even more so when SHTF hits. But what can you do about it? This is the subject of today's post, so grab a cup of coffee, my friend, and have a seat while we visit. Last weekend, I participated in the National Emergency Communications Drill known as Summer Field Day 2017. And let me tell you, there were plenty of exhausted people there on Sunday morning. Many had been up over 24 hours straight and were struggling to keep their eyes open. This got me to thinking about SHTF and how exhausting it's going to be. Our safe and secure world that most people live in will be shattered and the stress of that alone will cause them to lose sleep on many nights. Then there are chores which need to be done, many of which will be very labor intensive. Things like walking guard duty, hunting, working in your garden, etc. will need to be done on a daily basis and will just add to your fatigue. A fatigued person will not only have less energy but will struggle to maintain an effective thought pattern, thus making bad decisions. This was very evident at our field day exercise when asking fatigued members questions, they would have to stop and think before answering simple questions. Let me make this very clear. Fatigue will get you killed in an SHTF situation, so avoid it at all costs. If others like your family are depending on you, then it's even more important. Your vision is also adversely affected by sleep deprivation as well. In a world where there are potentially people all around you who are just waiting for the opportunity to take what is yours, it could very easily get you killed as well as those who depend on you. Now, I'm not talking about just being tired, because that will be a given in a post-SHTF world. I'm talking about not getting enough rest to be able to think clearly and defend yourself and your family at any time. Alright, so how do you keep exhaustion from occurring in a post-SHTF world? It won't be easy, but it can be done if you properly prepare ahead of time. The first thing you need to realize is that you cannot do it all by yourself when SHTF hits. You need to plan ahead of time and create alliances with other people and preppers in your area. Now I know that some of you are thinking that I can do it all by myself and I don't need anyone else to help me. That's all fine and good if you're Superman, but if you're a mere mortal like the rest of us, then you had better get busy putting together a group just in case you do need them when things get too bad. Let's look at what advantages a group has to offer just in the way of manpower for getting things done. 
First off, when it comes to protection, being able to rotate the guard so everyone has at least one night off every week is essential. Once you're out of fresh meat, someone is going to have to go hunting and will likely have to travel further and further each time during due, due to the dwindling availability of game. That's if the walking dead haven't killed them all off in your area. There will also be the never-ending chore of working your garden in the summer and fall. Then, of course, there's preparing, cooking, and cleaning that still has to be done. Some of these chores can be very demanding as well. The more people you have with the right skill set, the better off you will be. Now back to not sleeping. What can you do for that? I mean, there will be no air conditioning or central heat to keep you comfortable anymore. If you live in the south, this can be a real problem with this high humidity. And in the north, the hunt for firewood will be never ending during the winter. Many preppers will simply not make it because they will not be realistic about what was coming. I honestly see how not even two or three people could safely survive together, let alone one by himself. As for dealing with the stress, there are many natural oils and herbs which can help relax you so you can get some rest at night when you finally stop. Taking the time now to learn Tai Chi or maybe how to meditate, as corny as that sounds, could do you a world of good when it all falls, falls apart. I doubt even that will help you if you don't set aside enough time to actually rest and recharge your batteries. Here it is in a nutshell, folks. None of us can survive a real SHTF situation by ourselves, so you better wake up and take a hard look at your plans if you think you can. We need each other, and together is the only way to reasonably expect a real SHTF situation. Well, that's it for today, and I hope you have enjoyed today's post. Until next time, my friends, stay safe, stay strong, and stay prepared. God bless America, Sarge. All right, so um, things to really consider there, right? Because a lot of people think that when it all hits the fan that, okay, it's going to be one big camping trip. But, you know, you're right. There's going to be people out there, depending on where you are and how you're situated, um, there might be a need for, uh, or there definitely will be a need for uh, someone watching, you know, what's going on and, and, uh, you know, have a post out at night, whatever that might be. So, um, yeah, you do need people. And I've been talking about that for a long time here. Uh, the my four and and no more out there surviving at a retreat. I don't think that's that's just realistic. After a while, it's going to wear on you. And uh, you know, if you don't get enough sleep, I mean, your body your body heals itself when it sleeps. Your body takes care of itself when it sleeps. Um, if you're not sleeping, you're not you know you're not doing those things. You're not you you'll be able, you'll get sick so much more easily, right? Your immune system will be run down. You you won't be recharged. Not to mention the stuff that Sarge talked about as far as not uh, you know not being able to think clearly and making bad decisions and those kinds of things. Uh, and we've all been around people who are irritable when uh, when they're tired and grumpy and and you know how that would. Uh, lead to a situation where there's a lot of people and how that would just kind of get everyone else's stress level, you know, there. So uh, something to think about, uh, things to consider. You know, one of the problems might be that you are so tired that you knock out and you won't be able to hear anything, right? You, uh, uh, depending on what type of sleeper you are, but you would be so sleepy, so tired that you'd knock out and you wouldn't be able to hear something that was going on. That would be, that would be scary too. I can see that happening as well. 
All right, so uh, moving right along, this next one comes to us from Living Life in Rural Iowa. Uh, you know, it's been a while since I read an article from uh, from this website, but uh, this website is kind of a morbid one. Uh, they actually even uh, you know say that in you know Erica says that in her post um, at the end. But something to think about, and again, it's fresh on my mind because uh, in in Mark's uh, Mark's novels, you know, people do die, and how do they deal with it? You know, in his novels, uh, you know, a, a lot of the people that are at the retreat, you know, they they do uh, well. Okay, so the the bad guys they burn them, right? Um, but the good guys they do bury them, and so there's a lot to that, right? Where you bury and all that kind of stuff. So. Um, there's going to be some things here that you're going to be kind of like, duh, no, no problem there. But there's going to be some other things here. And I'll, I want to point out a few things. So let's go ahead and read this one. What will you do when someone dies during SHTF? One of the things we never like to think about and is a very tough topic to discuss is death. However, death is inevitable. It will happen and you need a plan in place for normal circumstances. When SHTF happens, though, you really need a plan in place. First of all, you need to be up to date on your state laws and codes. You also need to look into country, township, and city codes on burials. Many states also have rules on who can handle the body, where the body can be placed, and who can bury the body. Many states require that someone files a death certificate within three days of the death or discovery of, their de of the death. In Iowa, you do not have to use a funeral director. You can keep the body at home. You only need to embalm the body if the deceased had a communicable disease or will not be buried within three days. However, if the body is being held in refrigeration, you can wait six days without embalming. There are no laws requiring a casket for burial or cremation, but the cemetery or crematorium may have their own rules about caskets. You can bury the body in a cemetery or private property as long as local zoning laws permit it. If you do bury on private property, keep a detailed map of the burial for future property owners. I found two excellent resources about this here, Iowa Home Funeral Laws and Burial and Cremation Laws in Iowa. They cover other states as well. I understand that during SHTF, these laws may not apply. However, during most disasters, state laws will still prevail and still need to be followed. Only during a collapse of the government or raw will you need not really worry about the laws. How you plan to deal with the death in your own family or people in your group. You will need to address a few things. Where will the body be buried? Will there be where their body be cremated? How will the hole for the burial be dug? How will you cremate the body? Do you need to purchase a body bag, coffin and or embalming kit for your preps? Who will handle the body? Who will make the arrangements and file the death certificate? And who will be in charge of making sure the living wills and wills are kept safe and are honored? There are very few right and wrong answers here. I would ask the family members over 16 what their wishes are for their death and keep a record of their responses. Parents can decide for their minor children. Knowing everyone's wishes will make answering those questions easier. I would designate one to two people to handle the body, make the arrangements, and file the death certificate. If you have a person already de designated for handling important papers, I would put them in charge of the wills also. This person or you should have a copy of all important papers. Whether you have an SHTF or not, I thoroughly believe you need a will and a living will. You will solve a lot of complications with those two documents. If you have any wishes for your funeral or your death that needs to be written down so it can be honored if possible. 
a living will is very important because you can include end-of-life decisions like palliative care and or do not resuscitate order. As with all important legal documents, it is not done by if it's not done by a lawyer, you need to get it signed and notarized to be considered in court. If you are planning to bury on the property or create a private cemetery, I would get that spot established now. As suggested before, you should make a detailed map where people are buried or where they will be buried. I would pick a spot that will be easy to dig but not obvious to everyone who may enter the property for whatever reason. Another thing to consider also is what to do with the bodies in the winter. If you live in a fairly clim- in a fair, fair climate with no frost in the ground during the winter, this will not really, really affect you. However, in the Midwest, the, this will be a problem unless winter is being kind to us. I would pick a sealed spot away from the home that animals cannot get into. You want the body to stay cold and frozen if possible. Then, as soon as the ground permits, bury the body. One of the last things you need to consider when someone dies is who is going to fulfill their role. Who will take care of their things, their pets, and or animals, and possibly their family? If they had a specific role in your prepping group, do you have a replacement for that person? I believe in having backup plans, but sometimes you cannot plan for everything. This is a morbid topic and some very morbid things need to be considered when death happens. Like I said before, this is a prep this is a prepping and life topic that needs to be addressed. You may not want to think about it, but keeping your head in the sand isn't going to help when SHTF happens. Thanks for reading, Erica. All right, so um it seems kind of like there's a little bit of drift, right, between um, there, there's talk about, you know, hey, things to consider before and th- how things work in Iowa right now and then how things would work in a disaster or SHTF or raw situation and uh, coming back and forth. So if there really was a collapse situation, you wouldn't have to worry about death certificates or anything else like that. You know, um, you're just going to handle it on your own. Um, and uh, you're, whatever that group, whatever group you're in or your family or whatever, uh, however you decide to choose to do that, you're going to do that. The issue that uh, might arise would be if a situation uh, occurred where there was a collapse and there was a collapse for a, a number of years and then things started to get better and things started to maybe not get back to normal but um, things started to move back that way. So there might be questions of, hey, okay, so what happened to so-and-so? Uh, where, what happened to so-and-so stuff, right? And so that's where it would be where you would want to have, you know, documentation somewhere. And, you know, some people have their, you know, those family Bibles where you write down people who, who uh, got married and when people were born, when, when kids were born, when people died. And it, it might be something as simple as that. You know, one of the things you don't ever really hear too much about is when uh, there is a SHTF or a collapse situation. It's like no one's ever taking, uh, you know, watching the calendar, right? No one's ever, you know, marking days off. Uh, you never really hear too much about that. But someone is going to have to do that or, you know, you hope someone will, will wind up doing that uh, because it will be real easy to, to lose track of time, right? Um, just doing it so that you know what kind of months you're going into in the, in the, in the seasons and those kinds of things. I mean, that's going to be one reason why you would kind of want to do that. But, um, you know, that's where you can have that, um, 
that death certificate or that death date, right? Where you can say, hey, so-and-so died on this date and we buried him over here out in the field, out in the pasture. They're over here or we cremated or whatever. And then, you know, having uh, their will, you know, so if, you, you know, homes were still established or maybe there was bank accounts or maybe there were, uh, you know, maybe there was uh, safety deposit boxes that do get turned over, then, you know, having a will would be something at that point, something advantageous. So um, things to consider, you know, there, uh, of course, it, like I said, if there is an SHTF, you're not going to worry about you know, filing a, a death certificate or anything else like that, or, you know, even needing a body bag or a coffin or anything, you know, you could lay them straight. In. Actually, you want them to go ahead. If you're laying them straight into the ground, you want, you want the body to deteriorate pretty, pretty quickly, right? You want it ashes to ashes. You want it to go pretty quick. So uh, all those things, the thing to think about is the wintertime, right? That's something that people might not think about. Uh, we had a foster daughter who, who lived with us for many, many years, who, um, when CPS was looking for a place for her to stay, she lived with her grandmother for uh, a little while, but the grandmother died. And uh, the grandmother was, um, you know, part Indian. And so she was able to live on a reservation. And so she was up north and it was she died during the wintertime and they weren't able to bury her. You know, they had to keep her in, in refrigeration because the ground was just so frozen that they couldn't dig it, dig it out. So, uh, you know, so she kind of experienced that. That was something that, that, that happened. And can you imagine, you know, where you, you have a family member that's died, but you, you aren't, you're not able to have the funeral yet because it's wintertime. I mean, that's, that's kind of crazy, but uh, even more so when, uh, if SHTF happens, right? All right. So, uh, article there, living life in rural Iowa. There's a couple of links there. You might want to go check out. All right. All right. So moving on to this next article, I really like this article. I like the idea of it. Um, you know, I, I, I just, I, I just identify with it so much, right? So, uh, it comes to us from old world farm gardens. Usually when we are, or old world garden farms, I'm sorry, old world, old world garden farms.com. Uh, and uh, normally when I'm reading articles from this website, it's usually gardening related. But this one's uh, just a little different. It's why living smaller is living better. The five big keys to downsizing. Like I said, it just uh, I relate to it so much. And I think you might relate to it as well. And it makes a lot of sense. All right. So let's go ahead and start reading this one. It never ceases to amaze us how many people want to know if living smaller is really living better. Well, it really is. There has not been a single day we have missed oversized suburban home or all of the stuff that filled in filled it. In fact, if anything, we regret not downsizing earlier. A few years back when we started our quest to live with less space and clutter, I think most people who knew us thought we had finally lost our minds. The doom and gloom questions never seem to end. Why would you want to give up a suburban house to live in a 1,054 square foot home? You will regret this someday. What will you do with all of your stuff? You are going to be so cramped. Why in the world would you too build a house without a basement? You are going to need some place to store all of your things. What most people didn't understand was that we didn't want stuff to store. Nor did we want extra space or rooms to fill with things we didn't need or have to clean. We simply wanted a comfortable space that had exactly what we wanted and needed and nothing more. 
Too many people equate downsizing and living smaller with sacrificing. It doesn't have to mean that at all. In fact, by living smaller, you have more time and more resources to spend on the things you truly do want to do and have. For us, that simply meant being able to live at our farm without the worries of a big house payment or the time and energy required to upkeep a large space. In spite of all those early warnings from others, downsizing and living smaller has made us both happier than we could ever have imagined. In a nutshell, it boils down to this. More space equals more cost, more work, and more headaches. Once we eliminated the space and, quite frankly, the crap that filled it, it was unbelievably freeing. In the past two weeks alone, we have had five different couples visit our little simple house to see what it really what it's really like to downsize and live smaller. And I think it's pretty safe to say all five of them left realizing how it really can work. Don't confuse downsizing with living without. It is in reality living with more. When you eliminate all of the junk and crap, you suddenly have more to use on the things you really want. With that said, here are five of the biggest tips we have learned along our our own journey. The five big keys to downsizing and living smaller. Number one, don't confuse tiny living with reasonable living. Look, we will be the first to tell you we could never live in a 200 square foot home. It simply wouldn't work. The number one key is to find or create a space that has what you need and nothing more. For us, that meant building a home at the farm that had only the rooms and space we would use. For others, it might be finding a smaller apartment or a condominium. Whatever it is, first and foremost, stop paying for and maintaining space you don't need or use. It costs more to heat, cool, furnish, and keep clean. Do you really need extra bedrooms, a dining room, a living room, a great room, a finished basement, a bar, a den, a... Well, you get the picture. So on this one, there is a a map or a, a blueprint of their home. And then also, um, I'm sorry, uh, there is a blueprint that you can go check out uh, that uh, lets you see how big their, or what, how they've distributed their 1,054 square feet. All right, number two, avoid the clutter. Purge, sell, replace. The number one reason people think they need more space is simply to have and store stuff. Avoid the need for storage space by avoiding the clutter in the first place. We speak from experience. In our old house, we simply had too much unused things stored all over. Our single most freeing and life-changing exercise was when we started our downsizing, one-a-day, 365 plan. For one solid year, we sold, gave away, recycled, or threw out one item each day that we rarely used or didn't need. It not only made our lives more simple, it made us realize how much junk we had accumulated. See 365 one-a-day plan. And as you purge, take any money earned and put it in the bank or pay something off. It becomes a total win-win for your household finances and peace of mind. One last thing on this subject. Once you purge, only buy things that replace something. You will be amazed at how much it makes you think about purchasing in the first place. Number three, start eliminating the unnecessary. We all buy way too much, way too often, and for all of the wrong reasons. Eliminating those unnecessary purchases will free you more than you ever can imagine. The two most expensive budget line items to every household are almost always the house loan or rental payment and car payments. Downsize both. 
The next time you purchase a car, think about what it needs to accomplish. Do you really need the sport package with all of the bells and whistles? Remember that all comes at a cost and really doesn't provide a much, much in return, especially when it causes stress to your life. Stress like a $30,000 to $40,000 price tag and a nice big loan. Buy smart and buy what you need, not just to have it loaded. It saves so much in money and stress. Number four, stop purchasing the latest and greatest. This goes hand in hand with number three. It's really crazy, but by, but by trying to keep up with the Joneses, we all end up destroying our bank accounts. When you head out and buy the new release of the iPhone, iWatch, or the biggest TV, or the next latest and greatest thing, you simply overpay for it. Part of downsizing is realizing that if what you have now works, wait until you need to replace it. A big screen plasma TV cost upwards of 3000 a few years back. Today, you can get an even higher quality flat screen 55-inch TV for about $400, and I am guessing the old TV could have made it that long. People waste more money on have-to-have impulse purchases than anything. We call them regrettable purchases. I remember one of those in my life all too well. When I was 26, I used an entire bonus to buy a top-of-the-line 38-inch big-screen tube TV with picture-in-picture. Yep, showing my age now, eh? But one year later, I could have purchased it for less than half. Three years later, it was pretty much a dinosaur. In 36 months, I owned a $3,000 TV that was the biggest waste of money ever. I never have forgotten that, ever. We eventually stored that television in a downstairs basement for 10 years and actually had trouble giving it away. The moral of the story is wait until you really need something to purchase it, then buy one generation back from the latest and greatest. This simple practice will save you a tremendous amount of money over a lifetime. It also will save you from big stress. Stop thinking that the next thing you buy will make all the difference. It rarely, if ever, does. Except, of course, the difference of making you broke when you have to pay it off. Number five, keep living spaces open. There is one more secret to making living smaller work. Whether you are looking to buy, rent, or build, make sure your space has an open floor plan. Our house may be small compared to many 2,000 to even 5,000 square foot homes, but it is wide open. And it makes that 1,000 square feet feel like much more. See the simple house project. We do all of our living in the kitchen and great room and that accounts for roughly 70% of our home space. We kept those rooms airy and open and connected for a reason. Because it feels so much larger. In fact, we both agree it seems like there is way more space in this house than our old one and gave up 2,200 square feet. Here's to living smaller and living better, Jim and Mary. So uh, th- there is a picture of their, I guess it's just uh, one side of their um, their smaller home, and you can kind of see how open it is. Um, and then, of course, they have a couple of different links in here that you might be interested in, uh, like the, the Simple House Project and then that 365, uh, you know, day plan where they're giving uh you know one day one thing away or reusing or reducing or selling one one uh thing a day for 365 days so you might want to go read up on how they uh how they did that and how they uh you know how how that turned out for them but uh, i think it's fascinating i think it's interesting and i really li- i like everything that they've said here like i said it really speaks to me i under i love the uh 
the uh, the open floor plan. I really like open floor plans as well. I think uh, that that really works out. But um, you know, uh, something something to consider. I like the idea of not buying more than what you really really need. Um, my only thing would be. I would like to have some space, you know, like inside the house, not in the garage or, but inside the house, like maybe a bedroom, uh, maybe like a half, like if I was building, uh, I would build like a half bedroom type thing just for storage, like food storage and things like that. So possibly maybe a super big closet, then maybe not, not like a, a bedroom or whatever, but a big closet where I can store things in uh, easily and uh, kind of put them out uh, out of the way so people don't you know see them or they're not in in the way of everyone but uh, love love the idea it reminds me of an article well it was a TED talk that I saw not too long ago about living a simple life and it's it's a guy and he's very very broken English but uh, he's out from the country and they said hey man you got to go to the city and you have to uh, become uh, you know, you got to go to the school and you have to, uh, you know, you got to, you know, make a name for yourself and blah, blah, blah. So he left the country. He went to the city. He he was in a dorm room with, you know, a whole bunch of people eating, you know, junk food so that he could, you know, real cheap food noodles so that he could uh, afford to go to school. And he finally said, this is stupid. Like he gave it up, went back and, you know, he gardens. He has all the food that he wants. He has the, all the houses that he wants. Wants. I mean, why? Why would he want anything else? And so, uh, it was a really great TED talk. I actually posted it on Ed That Matters, and so I'll link to it on uh, on uh, episode ninety seven. So, anyway, so that's it for uh, today's podcast. Like uh, like I said uh, before, thanks so much for being a part of it. I'd uh, love for you to connect with me somehow. You can come to the website and drop me a line on episode ninety seven uh, in the comments. Or hit me up on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. All right? Uh, With that, let's go ahead and close it out for today. Choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until next time, stay prepped and aware. Peace.